48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines. Some of Hong Kong's strictest anti-coronavirus measures are to be reimposed on Wednesday, with public gatherings restricted to just two people and restaurants having to close by 10. But the catering sector warns many businesses will go under without more government aid. And while the number of new COVID cases drops to 76 today, experts warn the figure may rise in the coming weeks as community transmissions continue. The government is to reimpose some of its strictest anti-coronavirus measures starting on Wednesday as the case numbers spike. Wendy Wong has more details. Only two people will be allowed to gather in public once again. Restaurants are to stay open, but they must close by 10. And only two people can be seated per table. Swimming pools and entertainment venues will be closed, but gyms, massage and facial parlours can remain open. Most civil servants will once again work from home, and private firms are encouraged to follow suit. Chief Executive Carrie Lam also says officials are looking into doubling the fine for social distancing violations from two to 4,000, or even more. But she played down concerns over a hotline officials plan to introduce for people to report irregularities. I hope uh, people will not overreact. This is not sort of monitoring people and so on. The CE also rejected suggestions that the government is to blame for the latest outbreaks, which are thought to be linked to infected people returning from overseas and spread via the expanding dancing cluster. If every member of the community stick to the rules of wearing the mask, no close contact, no social gathering, we would not have seen this major cluster involving over 500 confirmed cases and more to come. So do you want to blame the, the Hong Kong people as well? The new measures will last at least two weeks. The government earlier announced that all schools at the secondary level and below will also suspend face-to-face classes for the rest of the year. The president of the Federation of Restaurants, Simon Wong, is appealing for more government aid for his ailing sector, saying the new restrictions can cost businesses up to 60% of their earnings. December is actually the busiest month for the catering industry. Normally we do about $11 billion of business, but now we would lose about $6 billion Hong Kong dollars on the turnover. A lot of restaurant owners are not able to sustain their business as they have been hurt by the pandemic for already a few months. And then there's no other subsidies which can help the industry to survive. The number of newly confirmed COVID-19 cases fell to 76 today, down from 114 yesterday. But Dr. Chuan Shuk Kwan of the Centre for Health Protection says a one-day drop doesn't mean much. The number today cannot represent overall trend. There may be day-to-day variation in the numbers, so we have to observe for a longer period of time. And also the sheer number of 76 is very high already. I will appeal to the public that try to reduce activities, non-essential activities, as much as possible. An assistant professor at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Microbiology, Dr. Siddharth Srida, warned that case numbers may continue to spike despite the tightened measures. I would say it is just as bad as uh, what we saw at the height of the third wave, and uh, we must be we must brace ourselves for the possibility that it can get worse very fast because. There are an unknown number of people in the community who have actually already acquired the virus but are maybe yet to show symptoms. So we must brace ourselves for the possibility that the case numbers may rise even further in the coming uh, days to weeks. 
Health authorities also confirmed one more restaurant-centred outbreak. They're ordering people who've been to Sky Cuisine in Shenzhen over the past two weeks to get tested for COVID. Hong Kong's latest school closures aren't going down well with many of the city's children, with some telling RTHK how they're worried their exam preparation grades will be hit. Jimmy Choi has more. One boy who's going to sit his DSEs next year says he's concerned that switching to online classes may affect his preparation for the exams. Compared to taking classes at school where he can ask questions to teachers directly, it is sometimes harder for him to focus during online lessons. He says. A primary six student, meanwhile, says he's also unhappy about the school closures. It's a bit inconvenient to attend classes by using a computer, and textbooks are better for learning. Sometimes the internet connection isn't stable, and I will miss some parts of the teaching. A form five student says he thinks students are generally more attentive during face-to-face lessons, and the school closures will affect his preparation for the DSE exams. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past eleven. Beijing says it will impose sanctions on four people linked to American groups that promote democracy over what it called interference in Hong Kong affairs. Cecil Wong reports. Washington had earlier this month imposed sanctions on four more mainland officials for allegedly suppressing freedoms in the SAR. Beijing is now responding with sanctions of its own against four people: a senior director of the National Endowment for Democracy and three officials from the National Democratic Institute, a nonprofit that supports democratic institutions and practices across the world. Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Hua Chunying said the U.S. had blatantly interfered in Hong Kong affairs and had violated basic norms governing international relations, something China firmly rejects and condemns. The tit-for-tat move started in August when Washington imposed sanctions on 11 Hong Kong and mainland officials, including Chief Executive Carrie Lam, Security Chief John Lee, and Justice Secretary Theresa Cheng over their roles in the introduction of the national security law here. In response, Beijing then announced sanctions against 11 U.S. citizens, including Republican Senators Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. Australia's Prime Minister Scott Morrison has demanded an apology from Beijing after a foreign ministry official tweeted a faked image of an Australian soldier holding a knife to an Afghan girl's neck. It is utterly outrageous, and it cannot be justified on any basis whatsoever. The Chinese government should be totally ashamed of this post. It diminishes them. In the world's eyes. In the tweet, Foreign Ministry official Zhao Lijian wrote that he was struck that he was shocked by the killing of Afghans by Australian troops. A recent report found there was credible evidence that Australian soldiers unlawfully killed 39 civilians in Afghanistan. Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Hua Chunying says Australia should concentrate on punishing its troops instead of criticizing others. Afghan people's lives The lives of Afghans matter. The Australian government should do some soul searching and bring the culprits to justice. They should offer an official apology to the Afghan people and make the solemn pledge that they will never repeat such crimes. Britain has further tightened restrictions on the use of equipment from the Chinese firm Huawei in its 5G telecoms network. British government had been under pressure from the United States to take action. China has denied that Huawei equipment could be used for spying. BBC's Gordon Carreira reports. Earlier in the year, the government changed course and said telecoms operators would have to stop buying new Huawei equipment for the 5G network by the end of this year, and remove all of the Chinese company's equipment by 2027. 
Today, the government has gone one step further by saying no new Huawei equipment can be installed from next September. Huawei has always denied being a security risk and said its exclusion will slow down the rollout of greater connectivity and impose economic costs. Health and safety officials in New Zealand have filed charges in relation to the deaths of more than 20 people in the White Island volcano eruption last December. BBC Shaima Khalil has the details. WorkSafe New Zealand said those charged could not be identified as they have the right to seek a suppression order on their names at their first court appearance on December the 15th. Ten of the 13 parties face charges under the Health and Safety at Work Act, which carries a maximum fine of $1 million. 22 people were killed in the Fakari White Island volcanic eruption last year. The volcano had been showing signs of activity several weeks before it erupted. State funeral is taking place in Tehran of the top Iranian nuclear scientist Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, who was assassinated on Friday. Iran has accused Israel of being behind the killing and has threatened retaliation. Israel has made no official comment. This report from the BBC's Grant Ferret. Iranian television showed a ceremonial military escort carrying the coffin at the start of the open-air ceremony. Iranian flags and large pictures of Mr. Fakhrizadeh adorned the street. One montage showed him alongside the country's supreme leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, and Qasem Soleimani, the military commander who was killed in an American airstrike at Baghdad airport in January. The mourners included senior members of the Iranian armed forces and the defence minister, as well as Mr. Fakhrizadeh's family. Back to local news, Eastern Court has acquitted two University of Hong Kong students of obstructing roads near their campus when anti-government protesters staged a citywide strike last November. Here's Francis Sid. The prosecution had alleged that 20-year-old Joyce Lo and 21-year-old Lee Wing-sum used objects such as traffic cones and rubbish bins to block sections of Pofu Lam Road near the university on the morning of November the 11th. Magistrate Stephanie Choi said the prosecution failed to prove beyond reasonable doubt that the two were among those blocking the road at the scene. She noted that police officers who testified said protesters had dispersed when the police arrived and officers had lost sight of the demonstrators when they gave chase. The court also heard one officer admitting he could not identify the pair in court and that the duo were stopped on the footbridge nearby, not at the scene. The magistrate ordered the prosecution to pay legal costs. The court earlier handed two other students involved in the case a $1,000 bind-over order each, requiring them to maintain good behaviour for 12 months. Police stopped some people from placing flowers outside the Prince Edward MTR station this evening as they tried to mark 15 months since riot officers stormed the station, beating people inside train carriages. Officers kept heavy presence in the area throughout the evening, warning people that they may be in breach of the coronavirus gathering ban and telling them to move on. People have been leaving flowers at the station every month since August the 31st following unsubstantiated rumours that the police action that night led to multiple fatalities. The authorities have strenuously denied this, along with allegations of cover-ups. The District Court has acquitted three people of fraud in a case involving the financial advisory firm Convoy Global Holdings. Among them is doctor-turned-businessman Roy Cho. Timmy Sung reports. Roy Cho had been accused of concealing his shareholding information of the firm known as True Surplus International, which Convoy acquired in 2016. 
Prosecutors alleged that before Mr. Cho was named an executive, he was a shadow director who had influence on convoy's operations directly or indirectly, even though he was hired as an advisor. Mr. Cho, along with two co-defendants, who were his former associates, were accused of having a secret agreement and failing to disclose to convoy that he had a 55% stake in True Surplus. It was acquired by convoy for $89 million, and Cho received $57 million from the deal. The two other defendants are Christy Chen, a former chief financial officer at convoy, and Byron Tang, a former executive director. Delivering his verdict, District Court Judge Ernest Lin said Mr. Cho could not have hidden the fact that he was a shareholder of True Surplus, which was in the public records. Although the judge agreed that he was the one who actually ran the company, other convoy board members were also aware of his role, and so it was redundant for the trio to hide the matter from them. He went on to say that while he had a conflict of interest in the acquisition, all of the board members failed to do their job to raise questions about it. Chief Executive Carrie Lam says the SAR has gained the support of Beijing and several neighbouring countries to join the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RCEP, that promotes free trade in the region. Vicky Wong reports. Fifteen countries in the Asia-Pacific, China, Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand and ten members of ASEAN signed the partnership agreement earlier this month in what's being seen as an attempt by Beijing to counter American influence in the region. Speaking at the Belt and Road Summit, which was held online because of the coronavirus pandemic, Carrie Lam said the SAR is the ideal partner for those who want to leverage on the Belt and Road Initiative thanks to its financial professionals and free flow of capital and information. The chief executive also said Hong Kong is more than qualified to join the RCEP, with some of the members already giving the nod. We have, after all, free trade agreements in effect with ASEAN, Australia and New Zealand as well as our closer economic partnership arrangement with mainland China. We are grateful for the clear support we've received from some of the partnership's member states. And we look forward to beginning discussions on Hong Kong's accession to the partnership at the earliest opportunity. A vice minister of the Ministry of Commerce, Wang Bingnan, also said at the summit that Beijing supports Hong Kong's bid to join the RCEP as soon as possible to further strengthen the city's trade cooperation with other parties in the region. Reminder of our top stories tonight. Some of Hong Kong's strictest anti-coronavirus measures are to be reimposed on Wednesday, with public gatherings restricted to just two people and restaurants having to close by 10. But, with the, but the catering sector warns that many businesses will go under without more government aid. And while the number of new COVID cases dropped to 76 today, experts warn the figure may rise in the coming weeks as community transmissions continue. The news from RTHK. It's time now to get stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. Hong Kong is to reimpose some of its strictest anti-coronavirus measures starting on Wednesday as case numbers spike. Only two people will be allowed to gather in public once again. Restaurants are to stay open, but they must close by 10 and only two people can be seated per table. Swimming pools and entertainment venues will be closed, but gyms, massage and facial parlours can remain open. Most civil servants will once again work from home, and private firms are encouraged to follow suit. RTHK's Anna-Marie Evans asked an assistant professor at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Microbiology, Dr Siddharth Sridhar, what he thinks of the tightened measures. 
I think it's a logical thing to do. We've seen a rapid escalation of cases over the last few days, both uh, cases linked to known outbreaks as well as cases acquiring the virus from an unknown source. So there's significant community transmission in Hong Kong at the moment, and uh, stricter measures are definitely required to control the situation. Now, many experts have said the current wave of infections is more serious than the last. How bad is the situation? I would say it is just as bad as uh, what we saw at the height of the third wave, and uh, we must be we must brace ourselves for the possibility that it can get worse very fast because there are an unknown number of people in the community who have actually already acquired the virus but are maybe yet to show symptoms. So we are. Uh, can uh, we must brace ourselves for the possibility that the case numbers may rise even further in the coming uh, days to weeks. I think perhaps it's you know it's psychologically challenging to constantly go from a situation where you're allowed more people to be in a restaurant and then reducing it again or whatever the scenario may be. But the public seem to be more relaxed now as we still see uh, you know many people on the streets or in the shops. So are people underestimating the risk of the latest outbreak? Do you feel? Yeah, I think I think it's human psychology. Like we can't stay on a, a state of high alert for long periods of time, and some degree of relaxation was bound to happen, especially after the uh, resolution of the third wave. But I think as uh, the number of cases start to rise and people see um, uh, cases cropping up all over the place in Hong Kong, we will do what we do best, which is uh, uh, perform good uh, social distancing, mask usage, and hand hygiene and uh, hopefully bring this wave as well to uh, a close. Now, many students are expected to return from overseas during the Christmas holiday. Are you worried that the local coronavirus situation may be worsened by a rise in imported cases? Yeah, it's possible. I'm, I'm more worried about the extent of community transmission we have at the moment, which is likely to continue well into December when the students start to come back. But yeah, when the students start to come back, we have to be very, very uh, strict about their uh, uh, quarantine measures that they have to undergo to ensure that they don't feed uh, an ongoing or further uh, community transmission in Hong Kong. Hong Kong politics will enter an unprecedented era tomorrow. The Legislative Council will officially be without any pandemocrats for the first time since the handover. That's after the camp's lawmakers quit en masse earlier this month in protest at Beijing's disqualification of four of its members. With their resignations set to formally take effect when the clock strikes 12 tonight, two of the legislators spoke to our reporter Francis Sitt about their time in the council and what's next for them. It's been a tough few weeks for veteran legislator James Toe, not just because of the usual battles in Leshko, but because he's been busy packing. When I take out the very first bill that I scrutinized in 1991 September, that is the organized crime bill, <laughs> well, I have the original copy. I, I don't know why. <laughs> After winning a Leshko seat in 1991, when he was 28, the Democratic Party stalwart has remained more or less a fixture of the council ever since and is now its longest serving member. 
呢啲文物嚟嘅。His office is packed with mementos of history from some of Hong Kong's biggest political crises, like the 2003 mass protests that led to the shelving of the SAR's own national security law, to some of its greatest disasters, like the National Day ferry sinking of Lama eight years ago and the 2010 Manila bus hostage tragedy. A lot of photos, a lot of souvenirs, a lot of stuff that stirred up my emotion and memories. I go through a mini journey of 29 years of my life, or my public life. Those times that I spent in scrutinizers' build, prepared a speech, and helping victims, families in all sorts of justice-seeking procedure, every policy, every bill, every important disaster and events and review procedure will go through LegCo and through all the papers and stuff. So going through all the thing is going through the history of Hong Kong for 29 years. And history is repeating itself, with Mr. Toh stepping away from Lashko for the second time in his career. The first came on the eve of the 1997 handover, in protest at Beijing's replacement of what was intended to be a through-train council by a professional legislature set up by the central government's preparatory committee and chosen by 400 people. This time is in protest at Beijing's move to force out four of its allies months after extending the term of the current council following the postponement of September's elections. Mr. Toh admitted this caught him off guard. The Democrat head, like most of his colleagues, opted to stay on in the stopgap lechco, but he said he had to make the U-turn to leave when it was reduced to what he described as another version of the National People's Congress. He said Beijing effectively ended one country. Two system on November 11th, and he fears that the worst may yet be to come, with virtually no opposition left in Hong Kong's legislature. There's no bottom line. In the last 20 years, the freedom level, rule of law level, just decreased gradually. But now, nobody can predict. After three days, something can happen that will shock you when you expect that kind of thing cannot happen so fast and quickly. So there's no bottom limit. It is only what. The Communist Party of Beijing, together with this puppet Hong Kong government, wish to do and determined to do. Beijing's ousting of the four opposition lawmakers dealt a huge blow to the pan-democrats, but none took a bigger hit than the Civic Party, with its leader Alvin Yang and lawmakers Dennis Kwok and Kwok Aki stripped of their seats. Now, the only remaining and most junior lawmaker in the party, Jeremy Tam, has also resigned. That leaves him unemployed, as he also quit his job as a Cafe Pacific pilot last year. During the four years that I served in the council, I think I did quite a number of things which I was glad that I was here. But of course, some of the items which I couldn't get it done, couldn't get it finished. For example, like things regarding the aviation, it's still lots of areas which I still want to work on it. But if this timeline, my duty has done, then that's the end of it. Mr. Tam admits it will be harder for opposition forces. To monitor the government without the platform of Lechco, but he thinks it's time for Hong Kong people to consider how to fight for their rights, freedoms, and democracy, especially when there is no one in Lechco to represent 60% of their views. I think the party still have their role, although it may not be same as before. But having said that, it's a new chapter for everyone, not just for the legislature. Actually, it's for the entire Hong Kong. Whether or not a party can sustain in the future, it is subject to whether or not the Hong Kong people will see a party is still valuable to their core values.
Both lawmakers concede that they're unsure what they should do next. James still said for now he will continue to serve the public as a district councillor, but the path ahead remains unclear. I'm reading certain books that how people can survive under totalitarian regime. Some will keep a very low profile. Some will escape. Some will、uh, a kind of a subversive opposition. Some will just live as a happy man or pretending to be a happy man. I haven't have the answer. Talking about so-called the future of anybody or any individual is not very meaningful. After all, Hong Kong is under a dictator's rule regime. We don't know whether the worst will come tomorrow or in a few months' time. Jeremy Tam is equally uncertain about his future. I still haven't, you know, made up my mind what happened next year. Will I run for another election again if I don't get decued or doing something else? But it certainly is a big change. And look at the frequency of the intervention of China government, which makes you worries. So I mean, like, it's a tough time ahead. The Civic Party's Jeremy Tam ending that report by Francis Sid. Now to Operation Santa Claus, the fundraising drive jointly organised by RTHK and the SCMP. This year we are supporting 19 charities. One of the beneficiaries is Sowers Action, which is helping children of low-income families with their homework. Radio 3's Noreen Mears spoke to Rita Lam, the chairperson of the executive committee of Sowers Action. If we don't have this kind of service, the children may, can only do their homework by themselves. So our role is helping them to make sure that they are properly grow up with an academic background, with a different、uh, help and cares. And congratulations. Program. Um, target to serve eighty、uh, primary one to three students from uh, two uh, schools in Samshuipu. Actually, Samshuipu is the poorest district in Hong Kong. So we provide、um, tutoring service, helping the children to finish their homework. And besides the tutoring, we also helping them to、um, other enrichment project on empower their independence in their studies and also helping them to build their confidence. Can you share with us any stories of the children that you help at Sowers Action? I've met a, a little girl. She's a primary one.、Um, she's a Pakistan girl. She has、uh, six sisters and brothers, but they are not good in Chinese. But that little girl need to、uh, study Chinese. So when I ask her about her Chinese name and about her Chinese exercise, she just look at me, and she feel that she don't know. And actually, because besides the Chinese Cantonese, she need to、um, study Putonghua as well. This is really difficult for them because they they just can't uh, 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 study different kind of languages for the for the same time because their families don't speak、yeah. Cantonese very、right. well and don't speak Putonghua, and they have to work yeah, also. Yeah, it's just his father can speak Cantonese, his mother can、uh, can't speak English as well. And her brother says a、uh, little bit Cantonese, but li-、um, uh, a little bit、uh, English. That's a really a difficult situation for the girls. 
most of these uh, children coming from low-income families. Their families, their parents need to work all the days. So after school, um, they don't have uh, someone to take care about that because their the parents is unable to give proper care after the school hours because they are still working for learning their livings. And most of the parents uh, do not have the knowledge to help the children in finish their homework or helping them in their academic performance. So we're providing the um, tutoring service, uh, helping them in um, doing their homework as well as improving their academic performance. And uh, it sounds like these children don't have people to look after them after school. So your after-school tutoring sessions not only tutors them academically, but also provides a safe space for them to stay after school. Yes, because um, if they go back to their home, there may be um, no one in the home taking, taking care of them. So they may go out to the uh, garden or wandering around. So uh, keeping these children in the safe place after school with the tutors, with the teaching assistant helping them, um, we, we offer games, activities, so they can do uh, homework as well as developing their personal character, maybe um, helping them to be more polite, uh, helping them to express themselves better. This is uh, a personal development. That was Rita Lam, the chairperson of the Executive Committee of SOAS Action. If you want to know more or wish to make a donation to Operation Santa Claus 2020, please visit our website at osc.scmp.com. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Our hands often touch public items covered with viruses and bacteria. When we touch our eyes, nose or mouth, the pathogens can enter the body. Health is in our hands. To prevent infection, follow the seven hand cleaning steps. Rub hands for 20 seconds. Rinse thoroughly. Dry with a clean cloth or paper towel. If you can't wash your hands and they aren't visibly soiled, use an alcohol-based hand rub. What if our hands get dirty again? Clean them properly. Radio 3 Weather. Well, look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Fine and dry. Cool tomorrow morning. Minimum temperature of around 16 degrees in town and a couple of degrees lower in the new territories. Maximum temperature during the day should be around 22 degrees Celsius and winds will be moderate to fresh northeasterlies. The outlook? Cool in the morning and at night for the rest of the week. Fine and dry during the day. Currently, the Air Quality Health Index remains low to moderate, with readings of 3 and 4. At the observatory, the air temperature is 20 degrees Celsius. Relative humidity stands at 69%. Simon Wilson sitting in for Uncle Ray, the world's most durable DJ. And a sort of ballads and easy listening through till one.
Produced and performed there by David Gates. Let's make it with you. Simon Wilson keeping you company all the way through till one. If there's something you'd like to hear, two double three double eight two six six is the number. To the late nineteen sixties now with Mary Hopkins. And those were the days. Once upon a time. 